I'm SP from Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D., a show about the general Marvel comic universe, part of the Guinea Geek Network, just like the show you're checking out now. Shows on the network are individually owned, and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other hilarious and fun geeky shows at guineageeknetwork.com. This is the official gunageek.com show. Each week, we run down the latest news and happenings in the world of geek. These are your hosts for the show, Stephen, Chris, and SP. Welcome to episode 386 of the official Gunna Geek Show. I am Steven, and with me, of course, is Chris Farrell. That's right. You can't get rid of me that quickly. And also joining us is SP. I like space stuff. Oh, hey, SP. Thanks for joining us today. Really appreciate you being here. And Cybertrucks. And Cybertrucks. It is just like SP's here. Mm-hmm. <gasps> no, SP can't be here today. He's away this week, but he should. Be back next week, in theory. That's assuming the things that he's doing today go well and that, you know, it, it doesn't end up driving him away from podcasting. So, Spoiler alert, <laughs> he's on Mars meeting with Suncast for some very important SNASA meetings Th- right That's now. true. That's true. That, that is true, too. <laughs> I, I don't know what I was doing there. Uh, yes, but he will be back next week. And uh, Chris, if you didn't know this, Chris Farrell is going to the entire time flip between his cameras doing his best SP. I mean, I guess I could, but I don't have the other camera running right no. now. Well, I guess that idea is a bust. So next I mean, time. if you give me like five minutes, I could probably have it working. <laughs> no, that's not going to happen. But if you would like to get in touch with SP, you can come to our Discord server at gunageek.com forward slash Discord. Send him a message over there. I'm sure he would love to hear from you. SP, should we do the news? Uh, I'm not SP, <laughs> You're sure. not to do your best impression of him. <laughs> <laughs> I set you up for that, Chris, and you just didn't take it. I'm not taking the bait. No one can be SP, but SP. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, no, let's actually start off with some interesting news here that... Uh, I was surprised to hear about because it's kind of a follow up to something that was on our radar a little while ago. And uh, we kind of thought that it was maybe a bunch of bunk. And now look at what's happening. Yeah, we kind of thought that this story was either not going to happen or it was just kind of one of those things you say and you put out a prototype. And be like, Hey, we said we did what we were going to do. And what am I talking about? Go back. I don't know. It was probably four or five episodes back. We were talking about Microsoft's Game Pass streaming service and the fact that Microsoft had kind of soft announced that they were going to be uh, putting this service available on all sorts of television sets, streaming boxes, things like that. And then also nestled away in that news was the fact that they were looking into making their own streaming device or whatnot that you could plug into your television to then do Game Pass streaming. This was interesting. And like Steven said, we kind of poo-pooed or thought, I don't know how true this actually is, because why would you want to sell a bunch of hardware when you can just put software on anyone's devices? But looks like we might have been a bit wrong here. There have been some leaks that have come out and you can go see screenshots yourself. They're all over the Internet. We might have gotten our first look at what Xbox is calling the stream box. Just what we needed. More things starting with stream or steam for me to continually mess them up when I say them. Oh, no, this this does, of course, assume The leak is reliable and real. That's a kind of a TBD thing at this point in time. However, renders of this alleged Xbox prototype game stream box were posted on Twitter by an account called PostUp and seem to originate from 4chan and a similar image board site. So what did we see about the stream box on here? Well, the rendered images suggest a streaming focused console that looks very similar to the Xbox Series X. If you go look at what the post-up account tweeted, it's a very small device, slightly larger than a deck of cards, to put it in terms that everyone can understand. It comes in measuring at 64 millimeters by 89 millimeters that'll be used to play games streamed from Microsoft's xCloud gaming service. Now, we don't have any, it won't have any access to local titles, anything like that, like you'd have on an Xbox Series S, Series X, or even an Xbox One. But in theory... We have also seen where you could stream in your own network to one of your devices and be able to play that way. So 
I wouldn't be surprised if, say, you wanted to put this device in your living room and keep your game room just for your gaming devices, and you could stream locally from your game room to your living room. That would be kind of cool. There's also some rumors floating around. It's also a regular streaming box as well. Some of the stuff mentioned in the leak references HBO Max and Disney Plus as two mentioned services. So now we start going down that route to saying, oh, Apple's ba- or excuse me, Microsoft's basically building their own Apple TV or NVIDIA Shield or Roku box or insert whatever your favorite hardware is here, it sounds like. <laughs> We'll have to see what happens. The images also showed off a variety of ports on this device. This includes Ethernet, HDMI, USB-C, and a front-facing USB-A port. The box will allegedly have Wi-Fi and be compatible with any Xbox controller, and wireless keyboard and mouse support is apparently planned as well. Like the Series X and Series S devices, the the, uh, rendered images show off a pairing button next to the USB port that is supposedly also an infrared receiver. Meaning if you have a Logitech Harmony device, you could probably load the Xbox profile and that would then work for this streaming device as well. Now, again, these are all rumors. These are all leaked images. Microsoft hasn't confirmed or denied anything at this point in time, but rumors do suggest this device will hit the streets at the end of this year. But again, it's a rumor and we're also in the middle of a semiconductor kind of shortage because of the pandemic and other things going on. So there's no guarantees that Microsoft gets this to drop by that date and time. But if this is actually the case, it shows a strong commitment to Microsoft towards cloud gaming, something they've been pushing and pressing their advantage on for the past couple of years here. And they've turned into a pretty decent little service, especially when you compare it to some of their competitors out there. So I'm cautiously optimistic to see what this is and also what the price point is, because that will be the real stick it. Sticky wicket, for lack of a better term. If this is, say, a a $79 box and it's able of doing 4K HDR running apps and things like that, it would severely undercut the price of premium things like, say, the Shield TV or the uh, Apple TV, things like that. My guess is we're probably not going that cheap, but it will be interesting to see if Microsoft decides to indulge a little bit of price wars here to get this device out into the mainstream. I think that if this does come by the end of the year, it's it's really smart um, because they do need to set themselves up right now for xCloud because, like you said, it, it seems to be overall doing pretty well considering <laughs> what else is out there. Uh, but But further, just the whole concept of the media consumption is is so big and like people do have a need for that. And they're going to need a media streaming device. Like every Christmas, we see a bunch of people buy Fire Sticks. We see a bunch of people buy Apple TVs and things like that. And Microsoft's missing that game. Like they're not able to offer something in that price point. And if this costs a little bit more than what you would get one of those sticks, but you have the gaming capability, it would be really appealing to some people. And credit where credit's due, for a long time, Microsoft has done streaming apps fairly well on both Windows and on Xbox. Like back with the Xbox, um, now I'm trying to think of the name, 360 Days, it was a great Netflix box. The the Netflix quality on Windows, the app, and last I checked, the actual, um, even the Chromium-based Edge, does better than Google Chrome for Netflix. So like, there's a lot of good reasons to think or a lot of reasons to think that Microsoft would do a decent job with a media box that also does do the xCloud capability, assuming the technology can handle the xCloud thing. Uh, I also noticed you said Wi-Fi. Was there wired Ethernet as well? There is an Ethernet jack okay. on the back as well so that you could wire the device in. But we got to remember, not everyone is in a situation where they can easily wire a device in. no. And the reason, like, obviously, you don't want it just to be wired, but I think it's it's nice that they offer the wired if they're looking to do gaming because there's a certain segment of the population where you can you can weed out people who are thinking that it's crap because they have poor Wi-Fi if they happen to have an Ethernet port there, right? You eliminate that as an, as an issue. And like for me, I do have my Xbox wired. I do pay usually for the little dongles on both my Chromecast and my Fire TV to wire those in just because it's just one less thing I have to worry about with streaming hiccups and things like that. So that's That's great that they're including that. One of the things I think will be interesting on this, and again, this leak doesn't touch on this, is what operating system does Microsoft's Xbox streaming box run? 
Is it going to be full-blown Windows? Is it going to be basically the Xbox OS? Or if let's get crazy here, does it run Android? Because we've seen there's a partnership with Microsoft and Android. We've seen it with the Surface Duo, where they have partnered heavily with Google to build the split screen capabilities that worked in their baking Google apps and things like that. And the xCloud or the game streaming app rather is available on Android devices now. Because remember, iOS is a workaround. You're basically launching a website to play it through that. There's a native app that exists on Android devices. So in theory, if you're Microsoft, and here's why I float out Android, you build an Android box that can run this, and you could always reskin it to look like an Xbox if you want. Then you have access to every streaming application that is in the Android library. And you don't have to worry about people building a variant of their streaming app to put it on your streaming device, which I think could save time and make things simpler. I don't know, though, if if I totally agree with that logic, because they have to worry about it for Xbox as it is. So it, it almost seems to me that it would make more sense for them to build off of their existing platform because these apps are already being created for their existing platform. So the question would be, and this is something we don't know because we don't know what's inside this box, is does the hardware inside this box allow them to properly run the Xbox OS? Fair enough. Be it the Xbox One version or the Xbox Series version of it. I don't know if that'll be the case or not. And that's something they have to determine. And part of what they'd also have to consider is if they make it run the Xbox OS, can they future-proof it well enough on what is arguably probably not going to be as powerful hardware as we see on the Series S and X, which are their future, so that they can keep upgrading that box going forward. That's kind of why I lean towards Android, because there's lesser system requirements to do that. But you're right, the apps that are already in the Xbox marketplace, if they built Xbox OS devices here, would work as well. I I kind of like them doing their own as well, just because from like a security perspective, it's them dealing with it as opposed to having to worry about the all the problems that come with Android and sideloading and people doing bad things and and things things like that so I kind of like that um I also like the idea that if you're getting a Microsoft product that is kind of in the realm of the Xbox you're having the same experience because we've seen that with other apps where you go from one platform to another and they do vary in operations. So I kind of like the idea that it would be the same sort of experience on this as you would get on an Xbox, but it'll be interesting to see which way they go. Cause yeah, there could be benefits to Android as well. Ironically, that's one of the things that some people ripped the Xbox for on this next gen was that they made the dashboard look the same as the previous generation. Meanwhile, PS4, really? PS5, this is just this is just <laughs> an example. This is not me firing shots. It's a very different interface between PS4 and PS5. That's interesting. People, I guess people want something to look fresh and hot. Is that what it is? Yeah, you have no idea how many people complain on the Xbox subreddits because the Series S and Series X run a 1080p dashboard and it's not 4K HDR like PlayStation. People are like, how often are you on your dashboard other than to launch games? What does it matter? I would rather have a gaming device that plays games other than waste resources to render a 4K HDR dashboard. I don't understand that beef that people have, but that's neither here nor there. Yeah, that, that's where you really want Microsoft to be putting all of their time is in the dashboard. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, people, you're so predictable. Well, I'm I'm really intrigued about this. And this potentially, like, even if it was in sort of the Apple TV range, I'd ideally like it to be a little bit less, but if it was in the Apple TV price point, I could potentially see this sort of thing replacing my other streaming devices. Well, the real question as to how many people will buy this also comes down to, do they make apps that work on your other streaming devices Mm -hmm. to do game streaming? Because if they do, it's a much harder sell to be like, I got to drop arguably $200 to replace my Apple TV because I want to stream these games when it could be Microsoft saying, oh yeah, here's an app for Apple TV. Here's an app for Android TV. And then if you really want the best experience, here's our device. I mean, paying for a free app, that's a lot cheaper than uh, dumping in money on new hardware that is arguably unproven also, which people will be quick to bring out. Yeah. I guess we'll see what happens. Um, Bottom line, look forward to finding out towards the end of the year uh, which app is not available on here as it seems to always be with a new streaming device. 
Yeah, my guess, if I had to guess just based off what we've seen with the app itself right now, it's going to be Apple TV that would be the sticky wicket here. Probably. All right, well, moving on to our next news point here. Uh, If you've been following our space channel in the Discord server, you might have seen some chatter leading up to Russia's launch of their Nauka module on July 21st. To say that the launch of the Nauka if that's how you pronounce it, module, when according to plan, that would just straight up be a lie because it has been anything but a good experience. Uh, The module was originally planned to launch way back in 2007, but it was delayed many, many times for various reasons, with the launch finally happening, like I said, on July 21st. However, problems continued after said launch. This included loss of telemetry and issues with the main propulsion after launch. This meant that the initial orbiting maneuver for this module was delayed for about 24 hours. Of course, once this was corrected, they were able to do some additional burns, which were previously not scheduled for, of course, but they were necessary in order to orbit correct for these issues that happened. So let's frame it this way, because this this is the way that I like to look at it, is let's take a look at the Piers module, which was attached to the ISS that needed to be undocked in order to make room for this new module. On July 23rd, they made the decision to push off the undocking of the Piers module back by 12 hours because of these problems that we're having with the Nauka module. However, on July 24th, the issues continued, meaning that they ended up making the decision to push the undocking of the Piers module back by another day to July 26th. And the undocking did happen on July 26th at 10.55 UTC. The reason why I like to look at it in this manner is because I think it kind of helps highlight the sort of chaotic nature that was maybe happening due to these problems that happened after launch of the Nauka module. So they go through, they undock the Piers module, and they make everything kind of fix, they fix everything up in order to start the approach of the Nauku module towards the ISS. Leading up to this, on July 27th and 28th, everything went mostly routine. Of course, they had some corrective maneuvers that had to happen as they ended up uh, doing the rendezvous path towards the ISS, where the actual docking was going to happen on July 29th. So, Leading up to this, everything sounded like it was working pretty well, contrary to the very rocky start. This must mean that everything was good, right? Of course, everything's going to go swimmingly. Yeah, no, because even though those couple days seemed to go according to plan, upon arriving at the ISS, the Nauku experienced problems with the Toru and Curse system which meant that it had problems locking onto its target at the ISS, causing it to go off course. Now, luckily, the cosmonauts on the ISS were able to intervene and help correct the docking procedure, which did finally happen at 1329 UTC on July 29th. So you're looking at this, you're going, okay, so there were some problems at launch, a couple days went okay, and then there was a couple of problems at the end. Once we got it all docked, Everything was good, right? Yeah, right? No, wrong again. Uh-oh. Because a few hours after docking at the ISS, while the crew were performing leak checks in preparation for the hatch un- uh, the hatch opening of the module, the module's computers experienced a software glitch which caused the onboard thrusters on the Nauku module to fire. As you might expect, objects attached to the ISS using its thrusters when it's not supposed to, not a great thing. Less than ideal circumstances. This caused the ISS to, of course, start rotating out of its orientation unexpectedly. Now, both NASA and Roscosmos did uh, work together on the ground to try to fix the glitch while this was all happening. At the same time, there were some instructions given to the crew on the ISS to close all the window shutters and standby for a computer reboot. So how bad did, was this, this sort of unexpected orientation change? Well, for one, it was declared a spacecraft emergency, I believe, at NASA. And 
secondly, it, it, the ISS did use the uh, Zvezda, Z-V-E-Z-D-A module, which was also attached to fire its own thrusters to help try to compensate. Essentially, we had a couple thrusters battling to keep it stable. Eventually, the problem was resolved and things were made right again at the ISS. Now, the initial reports that came out from this was that when that orientation change happened, it basically tilted 45 degrees. Today, information is coming out differently because there was an article posted that is reporting that the ISS actually spun, quote, one and a half revolutions, end quote, meaning that the thrusters on the uh, Nauku module basically caused the ISS to spin 540 degrees before it came to a stop upside down, to which at that point, I guess, I don't know if it was the competing thrusters or it was after they got it all figured out, they were able to do a 180 to flip it back to its original orientation. I couldn't really figure out when that was supposed to or when that allegedly happened. So it sounds like, uh, yeah, it was definitely worth declaring a spacecraft emergency. And as I I read this happening, uh, SP was really good to send us updates as this was all happening. I thought, wow, that sounds like it could have gone really bad. And then today this article comes out showing how bad it really was. This is crazy. Um, I really, really would like to know what happened on the Roscosmos kind of side of things because a lot went wrong with this. And when you're attaching, when, when you're getting rid of something from the ISS, because it's not like sci-fi. Once it's gone, it's gone. Like it's gone, it's gonna deorbit. That's it. So you're trying to line up getting rid of something, bringing something in, and you have all of these things go wrong. Like that just seems like really bad situation to be in. It also seems quite terrifying if you went yeah. 540 degrees. Yeah. I'm sure that the, the folks that are on ISS are obviously well-trained, know what they're doing, but I'm sure there was a part of them that in the back of their minds were going, oh, insert your favorite expletive here. This is bad. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't even want to know what that would be like to be on this. Um, let's, let's be honest. Things seem to have been going pretty well overall with the trips up and down. And um, when we look at some of the recent advancement with SpaceX technology. It seems like the rides have overall been moving in the even more uh, straightforward direction because there's so much computerized stuff. And then to have this come up here and seem like it's something out of early space endeavors with things going wrong after launch and then actually at docking and then after docking. I hope that, and they'll probably never get a real answer, but if I was NASA, I'd be wanting to to get some information on on why it all went so bad. So silver lining to it, all of your processes to deal with emergencies and things like that seem to have panned out and you didn't have to worry about the International Space Station breaking up and destroying itself in orbit and trying to figure out how astronauts are going to get to their emergency escape vehicle or whatnot. So everything turned out better than you would have expected when you read this headline and you start reading what happened and you go, oh, crap. I mean, this sounds like a space horror movie kind of thing. It does. Like, when I was reading all of this, that's what I was picturing is, like, all, all of those, like, overdramatic uh, sci-fi movies where they do something and things go horribly wrong and everything goes out of control for a few seconds and then at the last minute they steer it all right and everything is okay. But, like, that's exactly what I was picturing. It's crazy. In any case, uh, Suncast, I hope that you and your Mars mission look into all of this at Secret NASA. I, I hope that you make that a priority. I mean, we want to go down the conspiracy theory path. <laughs> this could have been a SNASA thing so that we wouldn't notice when they were launching a bigger ship on Earth. <gasps> this, is how, this is how Suncast is getting his giant entertainment center at the Martian base, <laughs> is they staged a fake incident at the International Space Station so we wouldn't notice other rockets going off. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> this is how Suncast gets his PS5 and Xbox Series X. Maybe, you know what? You're onto something. Maybe Honest Elon isn't so honest. He paid off the Russians to make this all go bad. And so he actually launched his secret, his secret satellite network. It's not uh, Starlink. It's his like 
mind control network is what he launched. It's Elon Link. No, I don't know. Oh <laughs> uh, well, SPA, uh, if you're listening to this, which I know you are, because I'm looking at our chat room because we do stream live on Mondays at 8:45 p.m. Eastern at Geeks Alive, and I see you there. Uh, I look forward to your follow-up on this when you return, because I'm sure you have way better things to say about this, and I'm sure you're probably saying, "Stephen, you pronounced it wrong." Stephen, you. Screwed up this part. Steven, you missed this critical part. And I look forward to you putting me in my place next week. Let's go ahead and move on to our next news point here. Oh, wow. It's been a long time since you've mentioned Nyancat. Nyancat. Uh, no, we're talking about <laughs> Niantic and specifically Pokemon Go this time. And Steven is right. It's been a while since I talked about it because during lockdown and shutdown and things like that, I had stopped playing Pokemon Go because Pokemon Go for me was a social game. And I went out and played with my friends. And when I wasn't really going anywhere to do things, I had stopped playing. But it's important to realize, while I may have stopped and many others did too, the game didn't die. And when everyone went under lockdown, Niantic had quickly made some changes and shifted things to put some quality of life enhancements in there so that people could continue to play Pokemon Go while staying at home. Things such as remote raid passes, meaning that if you had a friend who was doing a raid, they could send you an invite and you could join that raid from the comfort of your home. For those that aren't aware, raids generally mean you had to be at that same gym yourself to be able to play the game. Remote raid passes took that out of consideration. They also started doing like daily free po free boxes out of the store where you'd get a handful of Pokeballs and some berries and other things like that, but enough that you'd be able to continue catching Pokemon. They were doing other things such as like one and a half times incense effectivity, things like that. But by far, one of the things that people really enjoyed is they had gone and instituted a change where they extended Pokestop distances. So what does that mean? Well, the game as it originally was, it would use your GPS to ensure that you're within 40 meters of a Pokestop before it would allow you to spin it, before it allow you to put lures in it, before it allow you to interact with it and do anything other than just look at it. As part of the quality of life enhancements they put in at the beginning of the pandemic, they shifted that to 80 meters away, meaning it was a lot easier to maintain your distance while outside, to stay away from other groups, to spin these Pokestops while you're enjoying some outside time, but also properly socially distancing yourself from others. Now, Niantic had said that these quality of life changes were not intended to be permanent. And in fact, we've started to see some of them roll back now in the United States and in New Zealand. Other countries haven't been hit by them yet. They have followed through with their original decision and reverted some of these incentives, specifically the one that was used to increase the distance needed to spin a Pokestop or a gym. Like I said, this was a change that made so trainers were able to gather items from stops while maintaining safe distance from others. And it's pretty much, if you look at it, a quality of life update that everyone benefited from. And I didn't really see the drawback for, and I didn't really understand why they would decide to back it out. But as of August 1st here in New Zealand, United States, they backed out the change. We're back to 40 meters, which doesn't sound like a lot big difference on paper until you start going out and playing the game and walking these distances again. And it just seems like a step back for some reason. And I mean, you go through and uh, Niantic has been petitioned by fans. There's been lots of complaints and things like that, but there's massive benefits to increasing the spinning range. And there was a list that was put together on one of the Pokemon Go websites. I forgot to pull the correct link. I'll make sure it's in the show notes for anyone that want to see it. I think it was Pokemon Go Hub. That was, what are some of the benefits? And it was specifically not having to cross the streets to engage with certain Pokestops and gyms, especially important if you're playing in a bigger city where there's lots of traffic, you're able to just spin from across the street and stay distanced. You're able to interact with them from a safer distance. You're able to raid more discreetly and further away to avoid possible harassment from others because there are some places I've seen it in my town where there's a gym and you'll see a bunch of people there playing Pokemon. Everyone's crowded around the same place and you've got people that just want to be a-holes basically and throw insults and slurs out. And for the most part, you just ignore it. It doesn't matter. But with this spread out distance, you're able to stay back, stay a little further out. This is one I really liked. You're able to continue walking at a regular, regular pace, excuse me, rather than having to stop abruptly to spin a gym and then start back up before you were out of range again. And honestly, it was able to mitigate the issues of drift that a lot of people ran into on their phones or other devices. And for those that aren't familiar, these devices rely on your GPS to know where you are and properly put Pokemon and things like that on the map. 
There are, especially in older devices, something that's called GPS drift, where you may not have a good signal and it basically keeps pinging you around the map. So you might actually be standing right on top of this Pokestop, but because your GPS is drifting, it thinks you're across the street and just far enough away that you can't join in on the raid that your friends are doing or spin the gym to get things. So I don't really understand why they back this out because I don't really see what the negative benefits would be for Niantic here. It gets people more of a chance to play and has them able to hit more Pokestops and keeps people wanting to play. And I think it's also especially important to realize that they put these changes in there to make sure they would survive the pandemic. Arguably, they did pretty well and continued making money during the pandemic. And if you go and look at the numbers, at least in the United States right now, with the ongoing Delta variant and things like that, the numbers are back up again. And arguably, people shouldn't be hanging out in large groups and doing a lot of the things that we want to. And you would think that this quality of life change would be something you'd want to leave in place as we're grappling with the Delta variant. So I don't really understand what Niantic's doing. I'm sure they're going to spin it as some arbitrary. They'll try and spin it some way to say, here's why we're doing it. But I'm sure it all comes down to money in the end. It probably has something to do with sponsored Pokestops and wanting to be able to draw people to those where they actually interact with those sites. Because if you aren't familiar, there are some folks that pay to be a Pokestop so that they get foot traffic and people coming in to do things. So my guess is that's where we're going with this. I'm just really disappointed. And I guess I'd be more disappointed had I been playing more during the pandemic. I think people have been playing rather actively are going to be more upset. I'm someone that came back to it just a few weeks ago when we could start, you know, hanging out with people again and be a little safe doing it that way. And now I look at this and go, man, this is a really big bummer because this would have kept me playing the game a bit more. And I'm kind of just revisiting and going, I guess I'm going back on a Pokemon Go hiatus because it's not going to be very easy to spin stops, especially if I'm, you know, not really going out as much as I used to be. This, this is the problem that we're seeing across multiple areas is that there's a certain amount of positivity that ha- has come over the last few months in certain areas of the world in regard to um, moving past COVID. And, and we still have a very long way to go. And, recognize, and I recognize there's many places in the world that basically look the same now as it did six months ago. We, I think it's important that we recognize that. But the problem here is that Niantic is doing what like the movie industry is doing, which is that they're anticipating at some point people are going to want to go back to the same ways that they were. And that's not going to be the case. All you have to do is look at the corporate workforce to realize that there there are corporations that are making massive changes to their work model because they've realized that things can be done differently than they thought they were. And people are going to have different requirements now. If you look at jobs, there's art, there's a bunch of articles that have come out that said that people have sort of shifted careers because COVID has changed their their thought process of what they want to do and things that they want in their life. And they're expecting everybody to be back to that sort of willingness to get so close and, and have all of these random folks show up because before COVID, that's what happened. You'd hop on a Discord server. You chat with a bunch of random people in your area. You have no idea who they are. Everybody show up at one time and and everybody would be a few feet away from each other. They do their thing and they they disperse. That's asking a lot to assume that everybody's still going to be comfortable, comfortable with that. And many of these people will be comfortable with it, but not like right now. Maybe it might take them years. And some people may never be comfortable again with these random groupings and things like that. And so they're reverting the rules to a time before people were were or a certain percentage of people were hyper aware of exposure to different diseases. People ha- have basically been uh, crippled in their social game. Like, like people don't know how to be social. Uh, some people have lost their show- social skills. Apparently, I've lost my speaking skills. Um, and, and it happens so, to the best of us. <laughs> so, like, I I just think that they're they're doing what I would expect Niantic to do, which is make poor decisions. Well, okay, Chris Farrell patented conspiracy theory here. Here's what I think it's going to turn into is that they're going to get egg on their face, especially as the Delta variant stuff picks up. They're going to turn it back on again just to turn it off. And then we'll find some kind of premium thing you can buy in the shop that for X amount of time extends your Pokestop spin distance or things like that. And 
I wouldn't be surprised if they did that because they can monetize and make some extra cash. What I'm really curious to see what they do will also be in regards to remote raids if they truly decide to get rid of those when it's all said and done. In our chat room, our live chat room, we do have um, Current in our uh, Discord server who's saying it's too early. Some areas are still under restrictions and there may be a return to more restrictions in other areas. I totally agree with him. I think it's a great example on the changes in U.S., which has been largely ahead of the curve as far as reopening when considering um, the vaccination plan, because elsewhere in the world, there's other reopening things. But when you're including the vaccination plan, absolutely, I think he's right on that. But then you step outside of the U.S. and realize there are places that are still like barely doing any reopening or barely doing more social um experiences and things like that. And and I think that he's 100% right. It is way too early. And so I, I agree. There's probably some ulterior motive here, uh, Chris, and you are probably right. It's financially driven. Yeah, I mean, we'll see what happens. I don't have great faith that they're going to make it right in the long term, but I think they'll make it right in the short term because they want to make money. Yeah, so it's crazy. Uh but you know what? Suncast will keep us informed about everything because I know he has he has managed to go through and keep Pokemon and all this stuff during the pandemic um, to the best of the ability. So I, I appreciate what he's been able to do and keep us kept us informed. At least I think he was. Maybe he'll correct me and say I'm wrong. All right, well, moving on to our next news point here. It's looking like there's a, a test for a new paid YouTube platform because YouTube is apparently testing a cheaper subscription tier that is offering ad-free viewing on um, things like iOS, Android, and other platforms for the YouTube side of things. But it's cheaper and doesn't include all of the other things that you get in YouTube Premium. At the moment, under the the sort of beta program here, they're, they're testing, quote, YouTube Premium Lite which is being piloted in some countries like Belgium, Denmark, uh, Finland, Luxembourg, and the Netherlands. Oh, uh, Norway and Sweden. I missed that on the next line. Uh, it costs $7 for ad previewing in these areas, which is below the $11.99-ish price point that is um, the full YouTube Premium. Apparently, YouTube Premium Lite is offering that ad-free experience for YouTube apps but doesn't include ad-free listening in YouTube music, background play ability, or that offline downloads feature as well. The reason I wanted to bring this up here is because I think you and I both have a version of YouTube premium in some form or another, don't we? I was a Google Music, Google Play Music subscriber, and then they rotated everyone over to have that combination of YouTube premium slash YouTube music when they shuttered right. that service. So I'm still on whatever that old pricing plan was, which has both music and YouTube premium for like 10 bucks a month, I think okay. it is. So so you and I both have this, and I quite like it. I will admit I'm thinking of canceling it just because of what I do with it. I don't know that I... I think I can sit through the ads. However, I also have at times found it very valuable. And also... Very frustrating if I find myself in an area that I don't have ads. So maybe maybe I, I would cancel it and be back to it in no time. Like if all of a sudden I'm logged into another account or I am uh, on the Fire Stick where I'm not logged in, things like that. I, I, I get I do get a little annoyed with the ads. But I talk to lots of people who just like completely poo poo all over the concept of of the price point that is out there for YouTube premium. They're like, it's just it's just too much. It's too much money. And I think that they would be more willing to pay a smaller fee for the ad free experience because there are people who don't really care about the background play on YouTube. There are people who don't care about the offline downloads and there are people who are very happy with their Spotify subscription. So I like that they're testing this. I hope this actually finds its way over to North America because for me, I probably would go with the light version because 
I'll be honest, background play actually kind of annoys me on my phone because half the time I go to exit it, uh, exit the video thinking I'm exiting it because for years I've exited a YouTube app and then it's just gone on to my next thing. And then there was that stupid YouTube video playing for me. So I, I kind of kind of would prefer to have a light version here. Background play is all right. I think you're listening to music via the YouTube app, not mm-hmm. via YouTube music because a lot of people make their own playlists with like, uh, what is it, the the Vivo music videos, things like that. So you could just toss it in the background. But to be honest, I very rarely use the premium features. Like I can't, I think I downloaded a video once just to see how it worked. I went, okay, I guess that's kind of cool, but I don't know how much I'd use that. And I've used background play occasionally. I think it also allows you to do like the picture in picture of a YouTube video, which I have done before. Generally when I'm like waiting in a waiting room for a car appointment or a doctor's appointment or something like that. So I can scroll Twitter and watch something on YouTube while I have headphones in. Mm. I've done that. But for the most part, if I didn't have this grandfathered in deal where I got YouTube music and YouTube premium together, I would totally go for the cheaper plan just to get the no ads and some of the minimal stuff there because I watch a lot of stuff on YouTube, especially right now when there's really nothing on TV and there's only a few things I'm watching streaming. A lot of what I'll watch in the internet is weird stuff I've subscribed to on YouTube where I'll go down a rabbit hole on some weird tech issue and watch tons of YouTube videos on it on my television. And with YouTube premium, I miss all the ads. I don't get the ads rather because I've opted out of them and I'm able to do it. And I know there's some folks like, well, just put a DNS, run DNS blockers or, or ad blockers on your router. Yeah, you could do that. It's not 100%. Stuff still trickles through. And the trade-off there is these creators who make ad money revenue off of you don't get it. Whereas my understanding is if you're a subscriber of YouTube premium, then the content creators still get ad money of some kind if you watch their videos, despite you're not having seen the ad. So part of what goes on with YouTube premium based off my understanding, which could be flawed. And if it is, please let me know is that ensures your content creators are still making some ad revenue off of you watching a lot of these things, which I think is kind of important, especially if you're subscribed to smaller scale content creators who don't have like massive studios to do things, but are more like lack of a better term, the hobby streamers or hobby creators and things like that. I have to say um, every time that I've at all been experiencing, let's put it that way, an ad blocker, it's been a very short lived experience. I I cannot stand the way your internet browsing is crippled with them. Um, you, You find yourself article after article saying, oh, you're, you're using an ad blocker or you can't view a certain part of the page or or whatever, right? Like to me, it's never been worth continuing. Obviously, I guess some people just do it just with YouTube, but I just, to me, it's just like, it, it's never been worth worth it to me, the frustration in the uh, the viewing experience. Well, I mean, part of the problem with those ad blockers is that it prevents you from viewing that. But then when you say, okay, I permit you to show me ads, you realize, oh, this is why I was blocking ads here because it's not like non-intrusive ones. It's one where you've got a video scrolling on the top part of the page. You've got another video scrolling on the right side panel of the page and all of your content that on your 1080p widescreen display is put into a box about this big because there's so many ads around it. And you go, oh, that's why I was ad blocking this stuff because you don't respect me with your ad choices (laughs) and blow it up so much that I can't get to the content. And that's honestly why I run an ad blocker on some things. And I've whitelisted a bunch of other sites that I like to go to that don't disrespect me as a user. Which is what I should probably do, to be honest. Yes. <laughs> well, I'm look, looking forward to seeing what comes out of this because I do think there's a market there that they're missing by, by bundling it all together. And, oh, shocking. Google is going to almost go back on something. What a surprise! Because it wasn't I'm shocked. Wasn't long ago that these were all individual things, and then they bundled them together, thinking, "Well, everybody will pay for all of them." <laughs> uh, last thing that I want to quickly touch on here, unless you have something else, Chris. Um, there was some Pixel news that came out today, and we won't get into all of the nitty gritty. But if you want, you can mention a few of the highlights here. But the reason I wanted to bring it out was because Google went out today and they posted a big Twitter thread with information and then updated their Google store to have information on it, showing pictures a little bit of the uh, Pixel 6, talking about some of the features that are coming, like that they're doing their own, they've made their own chip. It's not all of the details, but it's a lot of information that is confirmed. 
compared to the usual game that we've seen for the last six generations at Pixels, where everybody has known what's happened at this point in the year before they release it a few months later. So I found it interesting that Google actually went out this this time and took a different marketing strategy, just went out and released a bunch of information, even though like there's still more to kind of come when it comes to the official launch sort of thing. Like, I I just found that fascinating myself. They put a lot of content into a 13-tweet thread, basically, describing some of the stuff that's going on. And the listing they put up on the uh, Google Store does not have near the same level of detail that was in that tweet thread. But to be fair, most of what they had put in that thread was just them getting ahead of things that had already leaked that just may not have picked up as much with the mainstream media. Now, it was cool to see the three different color options for the Pixel Pro, the three different color options for the regular Pixel. They talked about the fact that the colors are pretty much unique to each tier, other than the fact that both have a black on black. It was neat to see, and it's a very different approach than we've seen from a lot of folks. And I saw someone that kind of made a smart-ass comment, which I laughed about, that was, huh, so uh, Apple, a case leaks, and we threaten to sue you into oblivion. Google, things start to leak, so we just do a tweet thread and show you what's going to be coming. At the same time, we also have to realize that Pixel has a much, much smaller market share. And what Google has done here is successfully gotten some buzz from the techosphere, at least, of people going, oh, this is pretty cool. Google's kind of pulling the curtain off a little bit to say, hey, here's what's coming. It's coming in later fall, and we'll show you more as we get closer to it. Because what they showed us was not everything. It was them saying, hey, we built our own our own silicon. We've got the M2 Titan chip in it now instead of the M1 Titan chip they'd had for security. And they heavily touted the fact that it was probably their most secure phone ever. (laughs) Those were all interesting things. What I wish they had talked about now, which I assume we'll get later, is the the story we're hearing that with the new Pixel 6 and Google Silicon, we're looking at, what was it, somewhere between four to six years of OS support and patch support that was going to be happening? That is a big win right there. And that is something that has me going, hmm, I have a Pixel 4a 5G that's not even a year old, but the Pixel 6 is sounding mighty intriguing right now because you can buy it now and arguably stretch it out for a lot longer lifespan than the 4a 5G would get. Yeah, this this looks really interesting to me what they're doing um, as far as those couple points you mentioned, especially the longevity. One of the concerns, though, that I do have was there's some discussion that happened in our Discord server earlier today that, and I don't know where this came from, but that Google was throwing around the uh, sort of premium price point, possibly again. That which, is correct. Which mm, I, I'm, I am a little concerned about that because if they don't give us all the features on a Samsung, what? What's their premium phones that they have now? Galaxy, Galaxy S20 right yeah. now, I think it is, or is it the 21? If we don't get those, then they're going to come off the same way they did back when they first tried the premium price tag with the Pixel 1, where it's going to be like basically dismissed on spec alone, contrary to the experience that might be there. Because if you remember back with the Pixel 1, like they, they priced it quite a bit higher because they were going from the Nexus platform, which was the discount price tag, which ironically, Pixel's kind of back to the discount phone now. But back mm-hmm. back then, they did put the Pixel 1 up to the premium thing, and everyone looked at the specs, and they went, there's no optical stabilization. The, this um, megapixel, the megapixels are down. Like It, it doesn't have wireless charging. This is not going to be a good phone. And everybody dismissed it right away, including the camera. Oh, look, it, it, once it actually released, the camera was top of the class, like as far as DxO Mark went. But doesn't matter the damage was done based off of not having enough flagship features because people looked at the price tag, they looked at the base features, and they just said, what are you doing, Google? And I'm worried that this could be the same thing if they don't include all of those things. And as the Pixel stands now, there is several things in like a cutting-edge iPhone that the Pixel 5 does not have. Well, let's also keep in mind, Google made a deliberate pivot with the current generation of Pixel phones. They did. To go more towards the mid-tier spec and things like that. They they made a point, if you go and look at some of the stuff that's being said, and then also some of the leaks, of establishing that this is not going to be like an equivalent Snapdragon 765G processor. We're talking things that are supposed to be, it's custom hard, custom silicones, so we can't give you exact comparisons. But the leaks basically equate it to what is supposed to be the next generation Snapdragon processor and things like that. So... 
I think Google is not going for mid-tier spec, and I think they're going for jam all of those options in there that you see in a flagship phone. I don't think that they can afford to sell for much lower than what some of those flagship prices are. I wouldn't be shocked to see the the Pixel 6, not the Pro version, list for a grand. I, I have to say this, seeing the basic information that we've gotten today, this is the only time that I've regretted sort of my upgrade path, which if you didn't know this, I went from a Pixel 2, I went from a Pixel 1 to a Pixel 2, which was an upgrade due to an extended warranty claim, which happened with when my Pixel 1 had a problem. And then I rode that until last year where I went with the 4A um, because the Pixel 2 kept working just fine and, and to be honest, was full of less problems than some of the other things that came out. I don't think if we're going to a premium tag, I could see myself... I highly doubt I'll see myself putting the money, um, even selling my 4A and putting the money towards going to 6. I don't see that happening. So I kind of wish that I had upgraded a year earlier. So it might be a little more appealing next year because this does look really good. But at the same time, you and I are running into the same problem with our Pixel 2 phones, which was end of software support. Yeah, for sure. Because that was, what was it, October of last year, I think it was, was the last OS update slash patch that came out on it. It was no longer supported. So you do run risks when you're carrying around an old Android phone that the software is not updated, patched, and security maintained. It's a fair point. It's a fair point. And um, like my wife got the Pixel 5 and I look at it and th there's really one thing out of it that I, I, I look at and I go, okay, maybe I would have liked that. And it is the better screen because it has the higher refresh rate on it or whatever. Is it the higher refresh rate? Is that what it is? Yeah, and yeah. it's the same thing they're going to have on yeah. the Pixel 6. It's 90 hertz for the regular and 120 right. for the Pro. And like when I see her phone, every time I see a video on I'm like, damn, that looks good. Um, and, and that's really the only thing on there. Um, now, when I look at this Pixel 6, I go, okay, I would definitely, from what I'm seeing so far, it looks like I would definitely want that over the 4A. So, yeah. And let's also keep in mind, this is a very early taste yes. of what the Pixel 6 stuff is going to be. came out of nowhere, so my guess is Google heard about another big leak that was going to be <laughs> happening and decided to get ahead of it. That's just my personal theory. And it's sometime this fall it comes out, and if we follow what the traditional release schedule has been for Pixel phones prior to the pandemic, it was around the October timeframe these were coming out. So assuming that they don't have silicon issues and things like that, my guess would be sometime in October we're looking at Pixel 6 releases and things like that. And luckily for you and me, we're in situations where we don't need to upgrade immediately. We can kind of it's wait true. and see once reviews start coming in and uh, and tests and things like that to get in benchmarks. That's what I was looking for. Come in to see whether it is something we'd be interested in upgrading to and whether it is worth what is considered to or what is figured to be the premium price tag that will be associated with this. From a visual perspective, if you've missed the leaks over the last couple of weeks, um, they on the back with the camera, they've got a bar going the whole way across that has the cameras and the flash in it. It's kind of like a, a glass, just horizontal bar. What other phone did that? There was another phone that did that, Chris, wasn't there, that did the, the straight bar at the back? Uh, yeah, it was the Pixel 2 XL. Oh, that's had what a, it was. It had a bar that's at right. the top of the screen. I, this I is slightly that. different because... Google has what they're calling the top hat here. This bar that goes across the top. I'm going to use my old phone here for description. And if you're listening to the podcast, I apologize. It's going to be tough to tell. <laughs> but there's pretty much a glass bar that goes across the top of the phone. It's probably about, I don't know what, inch, inch and a half away from the top of the phone. That That's where the camera bump is. It'll have the telephoto lens and the pro and it'll have all the other lenses for everything else. And then that kind of separates it. When you get to the regular Pixel 6 phones, Everything below that bar is going to have one color and everything above it's going to have a different color, which looks kind of cool and fits with the quirky design style that we see with Pixel phones. And Pixel Pro, it's the same color on either side of it. Granted, no one's going to notice because we all put these glass phones inside cases. And this is a Pixel that's going back to glass slabs connected by aluminum, it appears. So it's arguably not as... a uh, protect it. I don't know. If you like plastic phones and feel better about that, because if you drop it, it's not going to shatter. You may not like where they're going with the Pixel 6 because we're back to glass on all sides. Yeah, I I don't know why we need to go to glass. I, I don't get it. So many people put cases on their phone, but whatever. So that's I all I wanted to really mention about it. Is there anything else you wanted to throw in about it here? 
I mean, I've been chiming in. I didn't really hold back as we were doing this. I'm intrigued to see where they go with it. And I'll be honest, I'm not in the market to buy a phone because Pixel 4a 5G works surprisingly well. And I got a screaming hot deal on it from Google. But I will point blank say that if Google is offering one of their deals again in the future, which is like an insane trade in value on a phone that I have or an insane move to Google Fi and will give you a big discount value, I would probably consider swapping out my 4a 5g for one of the six variants because i'm i have been very strongly considering going to google Fi, especially right now as i'm basically using no data because mm-hmm. i don't go out in the world because you just pay per gigabyte there so i could save some decent coin there and if i can get a discount on a phone that might be where i go in the future but i i don't expect that to happen anytime soon maybe black friday at the soonest there's one other thing, actually, that I, I should mention here. Uh, I was shocked, actually, to see this, was that they had the Pixel 6, and then the higher tier is called the Pixel 6 Pro. Now, the reason why I'm surprised about that isn't because they are not calling it an XL, because let's, let's be honest, the size doesn't matter anymore. <laughs> um, but I'm shocked that they didn't go with something like really out there like they do like they're not pink or they're whatever random terms they throw like they just use pro it's just plain old pro that's what everybody else uses (laughs) i think they tried to spin it as why they did that and i'm trying i don't remember the full quote so i'm probably going to not have it 100 percent accurate but the basic gist of it was it's the telephoto lens that makes the difference Mm. that's what makes it a pro phone because of the additional uses you would have for their most people probably would not be using it. But if you're a power user who wants to use it for videography and photography on the go and things like that, the telephoto lens, probably more important. But if you're just someone who wants a phone to whip out and take good pictures every once in a while, the telephoto lens, probably not as important. Now, there are going to be other differences between the pro and the regular. Mm -hmm. I mean, this was not announced today, but we did see in leaks that there's a RAM difference and a battery size and screen size difference between those devices. But Honestly, as I look at what's come out in the leaks, I go, I don't know how much I'd use a telephoto lens. Mm. It'd be cool to play with. But for what the price difference would probably be, I think the screen size is going to be more than enough on the regular Pixel. And the two gigabyte difference in RAM, I'm, I'm kind of okay with that. I think it was six versus eight gigs, something like that. I'm kind of okay with that. I'm on a phone that has two gigs or four gigs of RAM now. Yeah, I, I, I'm i still not a fan of all these companies using the term pro. Like I, I have a few issues with the reason that, or just, general use of that but that's fine like i accept that that's where the market's gone for technology is their upper tier people slap a pro on there i i was just surprised that they just went with that name because it's not google what they've been doing so well i I think this is also kind of a shift of them maybe trying to appeal a little bit differently by not being quirky in the naming convention things like that you could argue they were a little quirky with the uh appearance when it comes to the six where it was the multiple colors and stuff like that but who knows? All right. Well, that's going to go ahead and take us to the end of the show. Before we wrap up, I'll just take a moment here to allow Chris to plug and promote and do whatever he would like to do. And then after that, I'll allow him to put on his best SP voice and uh, make another plug for Chris's own things. I don't I don't have an SP voice, though. Oh, well, that's too bad. You missed your know, it's a prop- opportunity there to second time promote. That's okay. I'm terrible at promoting. You guys already know what I'm going to promote because it's what I remind everyone each week. Don't forget that we do stream this show live at www.geeks.live. And if you're there right now, you can scroll down to the bottom of the page. There is a calendar of all of the other upcoming live events. Please go check out that calendar. If you see something interesting, hop on, watch that show. Let them know in the chat room that we sent you. And I just want to take a moment and thank our listeners and viewers who do watch us each week including those who do come to our live chat room. I love streaming this show live on Mondays at 8.45 p.m. Eastern time to Geeks Out Live just because we do have such a rambunctious... Is that the right word? I don't know. We have, we have a very busy chat sometimes, and I like the different conversations we have. So thank you very much to everybody who came to our live chat room. Do greatly appreciate that. And uh, if you are listening or watching this after the fact and you'd like to join us sometime at Monday at 8.45 p.m. Eastern, we'd love to have you join us there. Lots of friendly voices and names in the chat. And thanks to everybody who comes on by. So for episode number 386, 
of the official Gunna Geek Show. I'm Stephen John Drew saying maybe I should rotate a bunch of degrees and do this podcast upside down. I'm Chris Farrell, and I'm wondering if that would make him Batman if he's hanging upside down. <laughs> Bye. Or maybe Spider-Man. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for checking out another episode of the official gunnageek.com show. If you like the show, please give us a five-star review in Apple Podcasts or a thumbs up on YouTube. You can always join us for our live recording sessions, which stream Mondays at 8.45 p.m. Eastern at www.geeks.live. And remember, you can find our full back catalog at gunnageek.com forward slash show. If you're itching for more geeky content, check out other shows on gunnageeknetwork.com. Voice work was by Emily Prokop of the Story Behind podcast. That's it for this episode. We hope to see you back again next week. <laughs>